What's up, everybody? We are back. Welcome to a very special edition of Real Chronicles brought to you by RealTalking.com. I am your host, David. I am joined with, once again, the League of Cinephiles are back. I don't know how I, uh, I was able to get Chris Evans' stunt double away from the set of The Gray Man, uh, but Mr. Alexander Helmer is back, sporting that impressive stash once again. This man can't find new material. This is the second straight I, week. It is. It. it is. But it's, I'm... It's a good one. I had a tennis one, but I I figured this was, this one's in the in in the works because the Gray Man did officially release this week. Yeah. Uh and Jack Renault back again. Yes. From with Al- presumably better Wi Fi connection. I, uh, hope I left so. the McDonald's where I recorded the previous episode. Uh I thought so. you were uh you were recording in Albuquerque. Oh yeah, that's right. I got stuck in the desert. I had to go pick up some bail money for a friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, who was it? What was his friend's name? Lalo? Uh, Jorge de Guzman, if uh, I remember correctly. Okay, okay. Yeah. Alrighty, so today we are actually going to celebrate one of the greatest directors of all time is Sir Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, there is no two people that I would want on this episode more than you guys. We've talked to Hitchcock freely off the air for oh, a little over a year at this point, so I, f- I figured no better two gentlemen to assist with this conversation we're going to have today where we look at our 10 favorite Hitchcock films, Hitchcock scenes, Hitchcock moments, and most importantly, top five performances in Hitchcock film, which I'm leaving for last because I think that's going to be the one that's going to have the most debate or conversation. Uh, okay. should, it should only be number one, number one for everybody. So I hope that you guys don't let me down. <laughs> All right. Before we get into that, let's get into some of the news of the week. Um, Jack, you know on record, our boy Helmer here's favorite Halloween film is Halloween 2018. Absolutely. Um, his second favorite is probably Halloween Kills. We'll stop there. So we got the trailer, to Hall- a teaser trailer to Halloween Ends. I know Jack told me he didn't get a chance to see it. Did you get a chance to see it, Helmer? Um, yes, I did. I saw it once at home, and then I got to see it before Nope. So uh, I looks pretty pedestrian i think it doesn't look like they're doing anything different not to say i'm not excited for it but the one takeaway i got from there is i think that they're going to be two michael myers especially with the premise of the movie in terms of not two michael myers but two uh a copycat michael myers have you have you read the premise Hold on, I will read that to you because I'm very... I can probably guess the premise. What do you think is the premise before I... Laurie Strode, back, you know, still backtracking after the death of her daughter, uh, has to face Michael one more time for the fate of Haddonfield. Or Haddonfield. So I thought that was it, but here, here's the premise. <clears throat> Four years after the events of Halloween Kills, Laurie is living with her granddaughter Allison and is fish- finishing writing her memoir. Michael Myers hasn't been sent since his last brutal rampage. Laurie, after allowing the specter of Michael to determine and drive her reality for decades, has decided to liberate herself from fear and rage and embrace life. But when a young man, Corey Cunningham, is accused of killing a boy he was babysitting, 
It ignites a cascade of violence and terror that will force Laura to finally confront the evil she can't control once and for all. Not gonna lie, kind of like that there's another guy killing babysitters and kids and all that stuff. Uh, Maybe, like allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. So I'm curious as to where they go. I'm, you know, if the trailer is not just the same shit of Laurie versus Michael the whole movie, I'm pretty interested. I I had read some interviews that this one's going to be more subdued and more quiet film, more like 2018, not as a straight up slasher. So I'm very curious as to what happens there. Uh, Next bit of news is more of a... um, an, another trailer of a, but more of an Oscar friendly film. We got the second trailer to Don't Worry Darling, the Olivia Wilde film. Uh Jack, you said you didn't get a chance to see it, but you gotta get a, have a guesstimate of what the movie is going to look like. Yeah, um and the trailers have also real or like the trailers that I have seen, I didn't get to see the new one, but I, I keep becoming more and more interested in the movie as we speak or as they come out. Um as for whether or not it's going to be an Oscar contender and like to what caliber, um, I still don't know. Maybe somewhere like in the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they has it been announced for any festivals? Uh, it's rumored for TIFF. Okay. Okay. Well, it seems like everything's going to TIFF now that you're. I'm not going to TIFF. So congratulations, <laughs> congratulations, Helber. You're gonna have a you're gonna have a good one. Um. But yeah, the trailer looks good. I'm very interested in this. I, I like the fact that she's going away just from a comedy and going to psychological thriller. So I'm very interested in the fact that she's not going to be a one-trick pony and trying to do some something different with her films and screenplay. Oscar-wise, before we go to Helmer, I do think if it's something, it's going to be a screenplay. And then <clears throat> the maybe acting for, for, for Flo, that's about it. I don't see Harry Styles being a player or Chris Pine or anything along those lines. Uh, Helmer, what do you think? So I saw the – I didn't want to see the second trailer because I was so sold on the first one. But I saw it again before Nope, and I really, really loved it. And I think this movie is going to be great. It looks a lot more trippy than I thought it would. Uh, a lot of sequences involving dancers that, that I – or I guess I think they're dancers that I thought were really, really interesting, kind of Suspiria-esque. And, yeah, it looks really cool. The fact that it's all set in the daytime gives me, like, Midsommar vibes. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm – Really, really excited for this. One of my most anticipated for the for the year. I wasn't huge on Booksmart. I really liked it, but I didn't love it. Um, but this movie looks right down my alley. And also the way it's kind of, I feel like it could be really great for Chris Pine, giving him a different kind of role to kind of uh, go deep into. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super, super excited. So, I mean, we have another Chris Pine trailer to talk about in a little bit with San Diego. So I'm sure he's going to dive deep into well. that film as well. Um I'm not sure if you guys saw this. I had a chance to see it since I saw Nope a uh, second time on IMAX, the Oppenheimer teaser. Uh, did you get it? You saw it, Helmer? Yep. Um, thoughts? <laughs> it was five seconds long, but it was the best five seconds yes. of all time. Uh, it made I liked it more than the Tenet teaser, personally. I agree. Same here. It, it, it's pretty impressive that a guy like Christopher Nolan could literally because essentially what it's making is a biopic and it's turning into IMAX blockbuster like only yeah. Christopher Nolan can do something like that uh, and it goes along with the parallels that I've said in the past with Christopher Nolan it's like one for me one for you um, I spoke about this off the line uh, if with you guys a few months ago but I've been saying it for a few years probably when Tenet came out it seems like the correlation since Batman Begins has been one for me one for you you have Batman Begins and you have the prestige you have 
the Dark Knight, then you have Inception. You have Dark Knight Rises, then you have uh, Dunkirk, and then we got uh, Tenet, and now we're getting Oppenheimer. So it feels like very much, uh, I'll do one for you, but let me do my trippy shit. Yeah. To follow up. So very excited for that. And then the last bit of news before we get into some of the San Diego Comic-Con news is, did you guys see the leaked plot to Joker 2? No. I don't know how accurate this is, but I found it online and I just wanted to, I, I can't imagine this is where we go. Uh, it comes from World of Real and he said, it specifies... The film follows Arthur escaping from Arkham and going on a murder spree before going to meet Gaga's character, who is actually not going to be Harley Quinn, but someone else. The two are both deranged and share a very Tom and Jerry dynamic. Uh, the 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 leak goes on to explain that the film is 50 times more violent than the than most comic book films, having scenes of rape, torture, bloody decapitations, and castration. <laughs> And they say not to expect a Joker 3 based on the ending of this film. Uh, neither a typical musical. He goes on to claim that the film is way more Clockwork Orange style singing oh. and not La La Land. He says to expect an R rating and a high body count. Um, Jack, you you have a face. So I'll start with you. <laughs> well, I was about to ask uh, halfway through that explanation whether or not it was still going to be a musical. Uh <laughs> A, a song after every kill? Yeah, uh, just accompany each kill with a different old Hollywood music staple. You know, Singing in the Rain, Clockwork Orange style. Because uh, Singing in the Rain, I mean, not Singing in the Rain, Clockwork Orange just had that one rape scene, right? It wasn't It was more than one, right? Unless I'm forgetting. It was just one. I, I, the book was a lot worse. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Helmer, thoughts? I mean, blood, body counts, castrations. I mean, this this is uh, I'm already sold. Don't yeah, need to say more. For sure. Alrighty. And then last bit of news, which is a lot of news, is uh, San Diego. Oh, in terms of my quick thoughts on it, um, I could do without the rape, but everything else, let's go. Um, and this pretty much confirms, like I mentioned, he's gonna die. But who kills him? The cops kills him. Does Har does poor man <laughs> so who, who, who how does he go um and then yeah so san diego comic-con was this past weekend it's about to end today we got a lot 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 lots of news uh all that's exciting for jack i know you're a big comic book fan comic book oh, movie yeah. fan so i know you're going to be excited for this but i'm going to start with non-comic book related stuff we mentioned chris pine before and a new trailer for his um <clears throat> highly anticipated dungeon and dragons movie was released um Jack, any thoughts? Uh, well, as I mentioned to you prior, I've only played Dungeons & Dragons itself like twice. Um, I guess they do have a lot of source material they can utilize to make a movie. Uh, so I'm certainly not like open-minded to it. Uh, but I'll need to look into it. But I'm also pretty sure that their subtitle is the same as like an Assassin's Creed game, Honor Among Thieves or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I, I know I've heard that somewhere before, but um, I'll check it out. But I'm not foaming at the mouth to see it, for sure. Yeah, and then we got a... Uh, Helmer, did you see it, or do you have any thoughts? Um, Not too many. I I will say medieval kind of epics are right down my alley, especially ones that kind of delve into the fantastical elements. Um, it's kind of... I don't know. It seems like a movie that should have been made like 40 years ago, but wasn't, which I actually think could have been a good... Could be a good thing, because it could be really, really nostalgic. Agreed. Uh, 
But for me, I- I'll watch it if given the opportunity, but um, I'm not going to chase it. If it's a press screening, sure. Uh, but till then, I'll keep Stranger Things as my Dungeon & Dragons uh, education for now. Uh, John Wick 4, teaser trailer, sign me the fuck up. Uh, we didn't get anything, but I don't need anything. I just need Keanu Reeves with that that beautiful yeah. beard and him in that soup. That's all I need. Uh, any any thoughts, Helmer? No, it looked great. I don't think I have anything specific to say. Although the the fight scene with Donnie Yen was absolutely magnificent. Uh, I agree. But yeah, I Jack, can't wait. Any thoughts? Uh, just the same as you guys. I'm really excited. Love the first three movies. Uh, and yeah. It, they're just surefire bets, kind of at this point. Do really, you, do you guys think this is the best original action franchise in the last ten years? What are the What are the I, other that's contenders? That, Expendables. I, <laughs> I think that's probably it. And Expendables are is awesome based on nostalgia that you guys don't have. Yeah. So, for me, I don't think they're they're not great movies, but I enjoy them. But in terms of quality, I think this is easily the best. Yeah. I think I agree. Alrighty. Then we get to comic books. We'll start with DC. There's not much here. Um, All the uh, Snyder cult fans were expecting Henry Cavill to show up. He did not show up, but we did get The Rock in costume. Only The Rock can just show up to a panel dressed up as Black Adam and having a present. If you guys can get a chance to watch his... John Cena showed up as Peacemaker, okay? He did, but did he come out from a... Uh, this contraption that elevated him to the top, and he forced lightning like out of his hand. Come on, <laughs> the the Rock is just like on another level. Um, there's a new there was a new teaser that dropped. I don't. I'm not really excited for Black Adam as much as I love The Rock. This teaser was a little bit better than the trailer. I guess I'm on the wait and see approach. Um, and then the other bit of news was the Shazam: Fury of the Gods, which I actually really like the first Shazam. Uh. It's more of a small, it feels very small compared to the larger scope of DC and other comic book films, but I, I had a good time with it. The new trailer looks pretty fun. Uh, Helmer, any thoughts on those two trailers if you saw them? Well, I didn't see the Black Adam one just because I was already kind of sold on the movie. I didn't really need to see a new teaser trailer. Um, I'm only really there for Dr. Fate because I love the character and the mm-hmm. mythos. The Shazam trail, I'm, I thought it looked like garbage. Really? I I actually, oh my so god. I, I, I'm I so in. I hated it so much. And like what you said, small scale, I think that's what made the first Shazam pretty pretty charming. Mm-hmm. But in this one, they have, you know, world, you know, uh, eclismic events happening. And I'm like, oh, and Helen Mirren doesn't look great in it. And I didn't think it was funny. I, re- I thought it was really rough. I, I, did not en- I did not enjoy it, unfortunately. I hope that I'm right here and you're not. <laughs> But I will, I, I will admit I that I am not. wrong. If so, um, this I believe this was announced at Comic Con. I've never seen this series, but now that it's coming to Disney Plus, I will be seeing it. Orville, uh, all three seasons are coming to Disney Plus in August. So I've never seen the show, but I'm cur- curious to see that. Now we get to Marvel, where we got a whole bunch of stuff. So if you thought phase four was leading to nothing you were right because phase four ends in two months uh with what black panther wakanda forever i'm gonna leave that trailer for last because i think that'll spark most of the conversation here uh we pretty much got everything coming in phase five we got quantum mania garden of the galaxy loki season two blade agatha uh whatever it's being called now captain america the nwo which is 
Shout out to all the wrestling fans out there. Secret <laughs> Secret Invasion, Echo, The Marvels, Ironheart, Daredevil, and the um Oh my god, the uh uh the Thunderbolt, Thunderbolts, Thunderbolts, Thunderbolts. Yeah, that wasn't on my on my image. Uh, and then oh, the not on mine either. Yeah, the big, big, big news though. Uh, before we get into the trailers that were shown, were that this saga is going to be called the Multiverse Saga. It's going to run through phase from phase four to six. But the three big ones that are coming in twenty from twenty twenty four to twenty twenty five, November twenty twenty four, we're getting Fantastic Four. But we're getting two Avengers movies in the span of six months titled, which I love the first one, but I, for any comic book reader, really love the second one. So we're getting Avengers, the Kang Dynasty in May 2025, and then we are getting Avengers Secret Wars in November 2025. Jack, if you're not a comic book reader, essentially Secret Wars literally has every comic book character like ever. The scope. Interesting. Have you seen Endgame? I have, yeah. <laughs> I have to ask. I know he's not a big comic book guy, so yeah, yeah, yeah. so I, I, that was kind of where I started to fall off after think, that. Think Endgame times twenty of how many characters are in Secret Wars, and there's multiple versions of said character as well. So it could be, if done right. Right now, I'm on. You know, we're kind of on a. They haven't been doing too many great things lately. We'll see what happens, uh, but I'm very excited for the news. I'll start with that with Helmer. What are your thoughts on like this next couple of months or a few years? So I'm a bit mixed on it. Um, I was really, really did not like Phase 4, and after Thor, I've kind of fallen off the Marvel train a bit. Um, and so I'm very mixed on it. It starts off really well with Ant-Man, Guardians, and Secret Invasion, but then some of the stuff like Echoes, Ironheart, or sorry, Echo, Ironheart, um, Agatha, uh, the Marvels. I don't really... That's these, the Marvels. Uh, I, don't, I don't, it just doesn't get me excited. And for Daredevil, I love, love, love. That's some of my favorite superhero content is the first three seasons of Daredevil on Netflix. I agree. Unfortunately, after seeing what they did to my boy Kingpin in Hawkeye and just butchering the character, I'm really, really nervous because these aren't the same Netflix writers that we got for uh, Daredevil's one seasons one through three. So I'm, Really, really hoping that because whenever we think that the MCU goes dark, gritty, even horror like Multiverse of Madness, they never do it. So I'm just really, if Daredevil is good and everything else is crappy, I'll be fine because that is that is the product that I really care most about. I agree one thousand percent because Daredevil is my favorite Marvel show of any Marvel shows, like yep. MCU, nothing. 100%. It's best storytelling you actually let your characters breathe and build rather than just like put them in the suit in about two episodes i mean if i remember correctly daredevil doesn't even wear the suit in season one until the last couple of minutes of the season so and then the kingpin daredevil battle in in the hotel in season three was one of my favorite moments in any marvel show movie anything so I'm, i'm with you i like the fact that it's 18 episodes so i feel like they're gonna let the show breathe yeah, and, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they announced it is going to be 18 episodes. So that gets me a little bit more excited that they're going to let these characters breathe and hopefully build to something great. The I'm with you on some of the other properties. I am excited for Secret Wars if they get there and they do it right. But like you, I, I give Marvel credit because as, as little excitement as I have at the moment, they do are still able to give me something. Yeah. to excite me so kudos for them to do that um, the avengers movies that's really cool like although i'm not all, totally on board with the lineup they have at the moment 
like the, the at least the, the the rumored one, the ones that we can speculate that they're going to have. Mm-hmm. It's really cool that they have two in six months, and especially because we haven't actually had that many Avengers movies. When you think about it, that's I think that's really dope. And I I I don't want to go back and heart and harken on it too much, but I really love the Kang Dynasty title. I just to it gets me excited as to where they're going to go. Especially uh, there we didn't get it from social media perspective, but some of the people that were there said that they showed an Ant Man trailer. And Kang the Conqueror is in it, and he was having a conversation with Ant Man, and he's like, "Have I killed you in a, in another world?" So in my head, I'm like, "Are we gonna get? Is Ant Man gone? Like, are we gonna kill Ant Man? That would be a good start to Kang's journey as the big bad if he's able to kill one of the big Avengers." Um, yeah. So the trailers we did get, we got the new trailer to, Sh- to She Hulk. Still not really excited for it, but at least the CGI looks a lot better. You can't you can't get better too much worse than the shit that we got in the first trailer. I don't. Know. It's still very awkward. I, it I is. Think it is. I mean, but it's always going to be awkward when you're having someone green yeah. walking around and taller as well, like much bigger. Agreed. I mean, have you maybe Jack has seen this show? Have you ever seen the Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk television show from the eighties? Is that Lou, is that Lou Ferrigno? Yeah. I've seen, like, videos of him. That show is... Let me tell you, like, I love that show. It's really bad, but I, like, adore that Mm -hmm. show. But in 2003, when we found out that Eric Bann was going to play the Hulk and it wasn't going to be Lou Ferrigno, I was quite sad. And then I realized, you know, this guy has to be this giant CGI creature. But if you go back and watch now with everything we've gone and go back to the Bill Bixby show, you probably would really welcome what you're seeing with She-Hulk with how bad some of that is. Some of that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a Guardians of the Galaxy trailer that was shown, and it got some really great feedback in terms of um, very emotional story. It looks like it's going to be. It's definitely the last one. A lot of the cast was crying throughout the panel, pretty much confirming that this is it for them. And then the trailer that we all saw was, to me, I, I know Helmer's going to shit on me for this, but it's okay. This Black Panther trailer, because I had zero expectations for this movie, maybe one of the best Marvel trailers I've seen in a long time. I, I, it hit me in the feels, especially when Angela Bassett is talking about how she has no family left. It's, it, it, it looks like it's going to be a very emotional film, and the fact that we get to see Neymar, the Submariner, for the first time looks really awesome. I thought the movie itself looks. Like we should have trusted Ryan Coogler and not just doubt his talents. But Helmer, what what do you think of the trailer if you saw it? Not a fan, unfortunately. Of course. Because I looked online, everyone positive reactions, and I'm happy for everyone. And I think it's just because I, I didn't love the first Black Panther movie, so I have less oh. of a connection to it. Um, but yeah, I, I I didn't love it. Namor, not too excited. Stealing your gimmick for a sec, Dave. But poor man's uh, Aquaman. Not doesn't doesn't really doesn't really get me and he yeah doesn't, I, he doesn't make you cream your knickers. Chadwick, I don't really have a connection to any of these characters. I I like like Lapita Nyong'o. She's she's there. I I know the actress's name. I don't I don't know the character's name. And I just yeah I, I just I just can't I can't get into it unfortunately. Um, it looks it lo- it looks great visually. Mm-hmm. Um, and the world building looks interesting, especially with the Atlantis kind of stuff, but. Uh, Jack, did you see yeah. it? I did. Okay, yeah. what are your um, thoughts? I did like the first Black Panther, um, and like the like the majority, I will say I was 
kind of skeptical when I heard they were making a sequel primarily just on the emotional weight of the absence of Chadwick Boseman. But yeah, I mean, doubting you, you said it best. I think just doubting Ryan Coogler was a mistake and I think it looks really interesting. I do see what Helmer's saying about like the not insignificance, but just like the lack of knowledge I have about the characters. Like I recognize the people, but like not necessarily the world right now, but uh, I am going to see it and it does look really, really pretty. So we have the main character yet. In the movie, I was just we, like, I was watching, I was like, I so, don't know who we're following. So in like we're almost following Wakanda rather than some some person. To I, like con- I concur. I, I Two things. I uh, saw an interview with Lupita, and this is just a nice tribute to Chadwick. On the call sheet, there was no number one. It left blank okay. for Chadwick. But in mm-hmm. terms of the movie, because we do get a, sh- uh, a little glimpse of Black Panther at the end yeah. of it. My guess is they're going to follow the Shiri storyline from the comics and she's going to become the new Black Panther. She was one of the most likable characters in the first one, personal issues aside. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, there, I, there's no one that's presented in this trailer as number one on the, as a main character. So, But Angela Bassett, that scene alone, I'm, I, I hope she has more screen time this time around. Yeah. That, that scene was fantastic. All right, that br- that brings us to another news for the week. Uh, I've been waiting to talk this with Helmer and Jack all week, so we can get to what we watch this week. Go ahead, Jack, t- 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 take over for like twenty minutes. Yeah. All right, <laughs> so I'll, I'll I'll go from I've got an easy week. So uh, aside from the Hitchcock that I watched, uh, we'll talk about that later. I rewatched uh, Night of the Living Dead for the first time in years. Um, Chef's kiss, which. Actually, the first time I saw it in good quality, because like I first saw it on the DVD, which as it's been in the public domain, there are, I can count as many DVD releases as there are probably on two sets of fingers and toes. Um, but now actually getting to see it in good quality, uh, yeah, it's it still holds up. Definitely the turning point for horror. Um, and then finally, I said it, I started it last week, but I'm all caught up on Better Call Saul and the fact that I have to think about whether I like Breaking Bad or this more just honestly just says a lot because I think I do still like Breaking Bad more but they're they're two really different shows Breaking Bad's more of like a sweeping like epic and Better Call Saul is a much more like emotional and personal show I think that's much more focused on the relationships than or more so than what Breaking Bad was. But yeah, I I I can't wait for Monday. <laughs> what do you think uh were Helmer and I overreacting with our love for Kim Wexler? Nah, I mean, yeah, full disclosure, I'm in love with Kim Wexler. Uh Rhea Seahorn, I I was I cannot believe this was her first nomination. Yep. Um I especially think she should have been nominated last or whatever the previous year was for a bad choice road. Her scene of her calling out of Lalo. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I I was just like, I I was just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing for like five minutes on end? That was just. When, when did uh, you realize that this show was more about her turning bad than about Saul's journey? Cause it took me a little bit, maybe season four, early season five is when well, I started really think, thinking that 
I guess I I kind of had a lead on it only because you both were like follow Kim Wexler's arc, and so I was like, is she gonna break bad? So I was just kind of looking for like the small moments across the series where like she would just slowly make different changes about how she'd like approach the law, and I'm like, all right, you're starting to get to that point now, and then eventually all the stuff with um uh, all the stuff with Howard. I mean. Yeah, Howard. that's just, uh, hashtag justice for Howard. If you want to talk about like character emotion arcs, like Howard, like my thoughts on him throughout the series just went like, Woo-hoo! told you, all over the place. He's yeah, he's like one of the best small act, like small parts of the universe. I mean, when you have a character like that who shows up like one scene per episode, oh, I love Howard. Yeah, and in in, in totality, you, we look at now that we're close to the end. Who is responsible, do you think, for, as we, you know, a lot can change in four episodes, but who do you think is responsible for Saul Goodman? Because I still think it's Chuck. Chuck and the events of this last episode, of him losing the only person he really does love. um, Yeah, I was going to say, I think Chuck started it, and what happened in the previous episode is going to solidify it. I mean, you, you guys have said it multiple times that you guys will just theorize about what's coming, and then you're zero for a hundred accuracy. Uh, yeah. When the next episode doing well, comes, doing so. well. Uh, I think the only, the closest thing, and even Helmer was like, Oh, maybe you're not there completely was. I said after last week's episode that this coming week, we're in breaking bad time. But then I yeah. did the math and I was wrong. We are only in 2005. So we're only about a year after the events of this last episode where it ends. So we still are three years behind breaking bad. So, and I, I, I think I've kind of maybe uh, siphoned away the fear for Kim Wexler. I feel like if nothing has happened happened to her by now, that she will be okay. Because I feel like if something really bad happened to her, I don't think Jimmy would have gone on. I think he just like really likes her, and I don't think he would have gotten to that point. I think he would have just gotten away from that life entirely. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I'll have to link you guys if you haven't. I saw it. And listen, I think Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould are geniuses. Yeah, I don't think they're geniuses to this extent. There's a scene in Breaking Bad where uh, season two or season uh, three, you saw the I clip I'm talking about. Told me about it. Um, where he is touching, he's talking to Wall, and he talks about like, you know, about loss or something along those lines. And he walks to his car, and you think at the time with no subtext, you're just like, oh, it's just some scene. But as soon as Jimmy or Saul gets into the car. You cut. You see him just like thinking and like breaking down. And in my head, I'm like, has Kim Wexler been like a character in these two's head for this entire run? And we are just like getting to know her now. Um, I do think she's in the finale, though. I don't know if Helmer would agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that was the last of her. Any thoughts on your and Helmer? I know from this last week's episode. Uh I mean, this last episode was so different from the previous one. It was a great kind of um, because. The, the the last episode we got was super action-packed, super thrilling. This one is a lot more slow. Character moments. We literally went from character to character, getting everyone's kind of, Because I think this is goodbye for Mike, goodbye <laughs> for Gus. Everyone's goodbyes just for this, for this show. And seeing everything, seeing it all develop, seeing the slow, silent moments, I thought was so impactful. The Gus stuff I told Dave about was really, really impactful for me. Um, a, a moment where you genuinely see the character being happy. You know, you don't... you. It's not often you see Gus smile. Um, seeing him with that guy at the bar talking about wine and then have, seeing what he has to do at the end. 
because of you know you know his history and what happened um, to the last guy he was in love with. Um, it really it really makes you think, and it really makes you feel more for the character. Um, and uh, the Mike moment was great. What we got with Tim and Saul at the end was, uh, was so heartbreaking, and the acting was so 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 good. The stuff with um, Nacho's dad was great, um, and still the fact that. The bodies of Lalo and Howard, spoiler alert, are in the uh, are the in super the, lab. The meth lab are it is like symbolism taken to another level, and it is just top notch world building. I, I it's just amazing. Can't I believe it. I concur. And then Jack to finish off, um, Elmer and I have been wrong all uh, this entire run of theories. Do you want to be yep. wrong and make a theory here about what happens next? Yes. <clears throat> I, I think you're right about I, I do think there is going to be another time jump. I'm not sure if we end on uh, I can't remember his like third uh, alter ego's name. Uh, I would like I would have agreed black and white world. I like would have agreed. I would have agreed with you if they didn't purposely show us him for the entire series. I think that's why mm-hmm. I think we're going to get there. We're going to get back there eventually. I just don't know when. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm still waiting for Aaron and Brian. Uh, still no sign of them. I don't know the significance that they're going to have. I mean, maybe the end of the show is literally just Walter White entering Saul's office and then roll credits. But and yeah, I I think maybe Kim comes back in the finale. They have like a like like an umbrellas of sure Borg like final scene of just like them together like one more time and then like oh like you're doing well and so yeah, on and so that, forth that would bring tears if that happens mm-hmm. um all right cool helmer do you have anything outside of nope um let me check so, and, I, and i know we'll talk about nope so i'll have i'll yeah hold i'll just my run thoughts. through this quickly honey i shrunk the kids i saw for the first time didn't love it but oh i enjoyed God. the special effects Okay, you know, oh. I, that was, I just want to speed through that one. That's definitely oh. hard. Oh, my gosh. Um, I saw a movie called Barefoot in the Park, Jane Fonda and Robert Redford. Oh, yes. That's a really good movie. It's based Almost on a play. Jane Fonda is beautiful in it. She is really, and it's crazy how she's in her 80s right now and still looks she great. She looks um, amazing, yeah. Yeah. But anyways, that movie is really good. Um, Poseidon, which I saw, Kurt Russell disaster oh. movie. Ugh. Not great. <laughs> it's not great, but it was... I, I always like seeing um, Josh Lucas in a movie because, I don't know, something about that guy, really, I don't know, gets my juices flowing. And um, uh, Urban Legend I saw. Oh, my God. You sh- don't you dare say a word. Do not disrespect Urban Legend. Look at my review, Dave. This oh, movie hold on. is such hot garbage. Oh, it's so great. I love <laughs> so it. I love it so much. I love it so much. I went really harsh on it. This movie insulted my intelligence. I thought oh, it was so bad. It's so and good. I honestly thought, oh, after seeing my review, Dave's going to be proud of me. Because we, we yeah. constantly talk about how 90s, 2000s horror is terrible. Yeah. It, no, I mean. this movie came after I, Scream, I gen- and is a direct copy of Scream without any of the cool. Well, that's the thing. Oh, yeah. after, after, it's beyond me. After this Scream. Dog shit. After Scream. Listen, I fully admit this movie sucks. I, I love okay. it, though, but it, it's garbage the, it's you can so you, the killer reveal doesn't make any sense it's uh, so, uh, the but i will say every movie after scream is a copy of scream for about five years that's just what horror does it just have when something works you're gonna bury it to the ground you no, know this it, you know this movie got three sequels right 
Yeah, I saw. Well, I, I saw the end of the movie, so. <laughs> so, so oh, she's yeah. not. I don't think she's even in the sequels. Apparently, she's in the second one, but I don't even like. I just read the cast list, but <laughs> oh my god, I hate. I hate it. I like the first scene. Honestly, I like the first scene, and that's about it. I hated this movie so 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 much. Jack, you gotta watch um, it. I shall. I I, I note it. It's funny how you note everyone having the same coats. That's pretty funny. And it is like some of those baffling decisions in a horror movie you will ever see in your entire lifetime. Some of the worst, most just mind-boggling events happen in this movie. Yeah. And the killer reveal has to go down. Maybe the worst ever. Maybe the worst killer reveal I've ever seen in my life. Especially coming, seeing what happens after the killer reveal and seeing the killer well, the act re- all you know. Yeah, yeah. Fucking Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> the reason, the reasoning for her being the killer really annoyed the fuck out of me. Well, no, the reason is it's like the same for any you know slasher film, right? You know, prom night, terror train, like anyway, it's like the death of someone in the past. You know, a killer comes back to uh, avenge them. But anyways, um, I saw Donnie Brasco. Really first liked time. It. Yeah, first time. Really cool. liked it. Um, Al Pacino, Johnny Depp are really great in the movie. And it was really cool how it was kind of about almost in, people in the mob who are almost losers, almost. It's not yeah. like really high up, uh, like like really like Godfather tier. They're really kind of – Al Pacino is basically a loser in this movie. And it's really cool to see that. Um, I saw a movie called The Shooting. This movie is really, really un- unseen Western with Jack Nicholson in it. It's 76 minutes. So if you literally like want to watch a movie but don't have time to do it, watch this movie, even though it's not very good. Jack Nicholson looks good in it, but he's in it for like two seconds. The audio is really, really crap. It's really bad. And I like it, it's like late sixties, but still it's like really recorded. It just doesn't sound right. And it's just not I love Westerns, but this movie didn't do it unfortunately. It was the slowest seventy six minute. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I'd recommend it if you have like some time on your hands. Alrighty. For me, I have a lot, so I'll try to go through this quick. Uh, I saw a whole bunch of Hitchcock movies just to get ready for this podcast, just to make sure that I, I didn't have any blind spots. Uh, uh, I saw, we both saw Nope, which I, I, I'm for the first time ever, I think Helmer and I are in the same boat for yeah. horror. <laughs> which, which, Listen, I while it's not a, I I feel like this is more sci-fi horror blockbuster type of situation. It's not a traditional horror movie by any stretch, you know. I dug it and watching it the second time, I liked it even more. Uh, I understand. I as soon as I saw it, I knew it was going to be divisive. I understand that Jordan Peele, and this is my perspective. I feel like Jordan Peele has created a reputation for himself where pretentious douchebags always try to look for themes in his movies rather than just sit there and enjoy it. This is a movie that you can on. Is it flawed? Yes. Do not get me wrong. It's absolutely flawed. But did I have a great time? Fuck yes. Like this movie harkens back to traditional blockbusters from the seventies and original blockbuster from the seventies and eighties. Just go in, have some popcorn, turn your brain off for a few for a few hours, enjoy it because it's a spectacle. It's his best directed film. I think as each movie goes on, he's becoming a better director. His worst screenplay, I think, but it doesn't take away from the fact that this movie was really enjoyable. Uh Helmer did. I miss anything without spoiling it for Jack. That's why I didn't really get into no, too much. Spoiler. This movie is great. Um, and I'm really surprised. It's actually this divisive. I thought it was really good. I think there's some stylistic choices, just getting my quick negatives out of the way. Um, the movies, uh, the screenplay, like you said, isn't very strong. 
Um, some of the jokes, I think all the jokes really didn't work for me. Uh, I, I didn't, I maybe laughed maybe once or twice, but other than, and I didn't really think the background for the two characters and their relationship and specifically Kiki Palmer relationship with her dad, I just wanted to delve more deep into. And yeah, I just felt like the first 20, 30 minutes could have done a better job mm -hmm. of setting it up for these characters because at the end of the day, I didn't really feel like I knew Daniel Kaluuya and or OJ and um, I forgot the other character's name played by Kiki Palmer. I, did, I, I didn't really know their characters too well. Um, and also one more quick negative, the movie split into chapters and I have no idea why. It, it, I thought it was really odd. Uh, I, I kept trying to I, find a reason why. I've I, I, noticed that a lot of filmmakers do that nowadays. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I didn't think that was necessary really either. It took me out of the movie here, especially because I couldn't really find a reason why. I was trying, I was like, oh, they'll explain it to the end, but they didn't uh, but okay, those negatives out of the way. I really love this movie. Uh, I thought I think it's really, really powerful, really great. And a horror director, and I wrote this in my review. A horror director can make their the audience look at a certain object and become scared of it. You know, John Carpenter did that in Christine. He did that with uh, the thing. Whenever you actually look at a person in that movie, you get scared. The similar thing with Jordan Peele here in the sky. He made me scared of the sky. Whenever yep. camera. Like whenever we're looking at the sky, whenever like we're Daniel Kaluuya is walking and we get you know a wide landscape shot, I was so scared. I was really really fearful. Whenever we saw something, you know, rush past the sky, I was I was really fearful. The UFO in this movie is I thought it was really dope. I thought it was really Same really here. cool. I thought that Stephen Yun is he's not in the movie very much, but his scenes I thought were great. There's something involving a chimp Let me that I thought was amazing. There's uh, one scene specifically that oh is. God. So 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 good. I would. I I'm not gonna spoil it for Jack because I I think he's gonna enjoy the movie. I saw it when I saw it again yesterday. That scene just. I mean, it blew me away the first time, and I don't understand why people are being negative towards the scene. It's one of the best scenes in the movie. It pretty much like I've spoken to folks about like what does that scene actually mean, and I kind of told you my theories. I your theory is that what it means to Yun's character. I thought that was real. I thought I think that's really powerful thing especially with the fact that yeah. he feels like he has this control to do that show at yeah. the end it kind of shows because of what happens in that scene yeah. yeah jack you're gonna love it and there's one of the most frightening scenes in the movie is for me as a horror fan was the bloody rain sequence when oh, you actually... that was amazing that was so good oh yeah also, the scene the young's last scene, mm, that one yep favorite. same that here was, especially the sound design was creepy as shit. I mean, Jesus Christ, that sound design was. Oh, I think what when we get after, you know what I'm talking about after that sequence, directly after Yun's last scene, mm -hmm. what happens? Whew. Oh, I wow. gotta, I gotta say, from that moment where we get to Yun's final scene to the end of the movie, it's throwing a hundred miles per hour. It's go, yeah. go, 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 go. Yeah, Jack, please let us know when you when you watch what you saw, what you think. Um, I saw this very underseen John Carpenter movie called Body Bags. It's a horror anthology film. It was originally pitched as a Showtime series, but they decided to cancel it, so they turned the, the directed sequences into a movie called Body Bags. Uh, two sequences are directed by John Carpenter, and the other one is directed by Toby Hooper. Uh, nothing over the top. It's nothing great, but it's actually really, really entertaining, really fun. It's on Shutter right now if you guys want to check it out. Um, also went on a Scorsese binge. I saw Raging Bull, which I letterboxed. Uh, shout out to all the ordinary people fans out there. Uh, that one's for you. Uh, I rewatched The Irishman probably for like the sixth or seventh time. I adore that movie. 
Really? I've seen the Irish. Wow. So in 2019, when it came out, I was at the New York uh, NYFF premiere. I saw it two more times that year, and I've seen it at least once or twice every year since. It's okay. I, I, I don't know why that movie sticks with me so much. I just love the, the concept of like what Marty's talking, you know, his themes of, of aging, his themes of last ride. I really and I think Al Pacino and Joe Pesci and De Niro are just incredible in that movie. It's it's an, a showcase for everybody involved. And then I saw a movie I haven't seen in a while, The Last Temptation of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the movie's really good. I don't know if you guys agree. Yeah. I think it, I understand why, you know. No one talks about it anymore because of certain aspects of the movie. I think it's really well directed, and William Defoe is fantastic. Shout out to Harvey Cartel having a Brooklyn accent uh, in the movie. Uh, that never, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's never not funny. Uh, also saw one of the worst movies, in my opinion. One of the, even though it has a solid review, "Don't Make Me Go," the Amazon movie that just recently came out. It's one of the the biggest slap in the face twist of the year in my opinion is directed by hannah marks which i love her film from last year that she directed uh it's a covid film but i did not like this movie at all i'm at one and a half on it just because the reveal is just a big slap in the face for anyone that invested themselves in the movie saw this new zoe deutsch movie that's coming out next week called not okay which solid uh saw pledge night a 1998 1990 horrors movie um it's on Shutter. That's the poster that I sent you, you Jack. Did, you did send me that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for Helmer to see it and give it 0.5 on Letterbox when he sees the cherry bomb kill. Uh, and finally, last thing I wanted to touch on, I saw the last movie stars. I'm completely done. Uh, I finished two episodes. I, I went four out of five on Letterboxd. Um, this needs to be seen by anyone that claims to be a cinephile. Like, it's 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 mandatory assignment yeah. for them. Uh, I already knew Paul Newman was one of the goats. I'm, I know Helmer has. And I know Jack has. Um, this just showed how important of an actor he was for our generation. And the Marlon Brando influence was so interesting in episode one. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Helmer? You specifically. Yeah, for those who don't know, if, if you're new to Alex Helmer, uh, this is, I got into Paul Newman and during COVID in 2020, actually, because that's kind of when I found myself as, you know, uh, as a, as a, as a, as a cinephile. And, uh, I, I've been in love with him ever since. He's my idol. He's, I have a picture of, you know, he's my cover screen on my phone. He's just my guy, you know, and having this documentary coming out two years after I first got into him is just it, it's a blessing it's like because he died like i mentioned to you guys he died 15 years ago I'm, i'll never get to meet him and seeing this seeing tapes that uh he himself you know words he, he himself said um that we've never heard before is just it, it's just i'm still amazed that it happened in the first place and yeah this movie even if you're not a paul newman you don't know much about him watch this because it's not just about him it's about the inner workings of hollywood it's about old hollywood it's about the ogs it's about uh, acting in general it's about show business and most of all it's about love and um, yeah just the relationship between joe um between joanne and paul is just yeah it's, it's like a real real life fairy tale it's something you only see in the movie something you most people you know are pessimistic to think so, so pessimistic to think that it could never happen in real life that's how powerful it is and seeing it in this show and again i'm only two episodes in and is it is so so great to see so interesting and um yeah 
Yeah, the when you get more into the humanitarian aspect of his later life, yeah. it, you're going to be really impressed with that if you don't know too much about it. I mean, he has a uh, when I was younger, I used to see his face on uh lemonade. Newman's lemon, own lemonade sauce, right. uh salad dressing. Um I didn't know that I knew about the sauce, but I didn't know that 100% of the proceeds yeah. went to charity, which is just shows the type of person he was. Um uh, Jack, you'll be very interested. The first episode touches on like the inspiration Marlon Brando had on him as an as yep. a as a character actor. Uh, mm. The I mentioned the something off the line about Marlon Brando and how what type of actor he was in that generation mm. compared to others. There is a story. I don't know how if it's true, but it's this myth that has gone around for years. So Marlon Brando was in an acting class and was told to act like chickens that and that a nuclear bomb was about to fall on them how do you and to react to the nuclear bomb falling most of the class clucked wildly but brando sat calmly and pretended to lay an egg when the instructor when stella adler asked why he why he did that brando said i'm a chicken what do i know about bombs that just like for me i'm like okay yeah this guy this guy got it this guy got it look at scorsese talks about him in the doc and other people you have other people talk it's just amazing to see how he was literally like they were witnessing a goat when they were when they were directing him when people were with him they were they knew at the time that they were in the presence of something really special um something who now i after seeing everyone talk about him i'm now convinced that he's the greatest of all time it's really interesting like he he catches such a bad reputation because of the end of his career but then we have we lose especially now with younger cinephiles that don't really care about older films you kind of lose how good brando was in the eye of people that don't want to do the research and brando i mean to me like even though he won't throw on the water from streetcar named desire is still like my favorite performance of his outside of the godfather like it's it's pretty incredible stuff uh so yeah watch that doc because it's absolutely mandatory watch all right so let's get to why we're here this guy jordan Peele, has been pretty much labeled as the next Hitchcock. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock, for anyone that's been listening for the last four or five years, this uh, Alfred Hitchcock is my favorite director of all time. Uh, I think he's one, if not the most influential director of all time. Um, I mean, I could talk about him for hours, but we're going to talk about him in detailed form with these lists. I'll start with Helmer here. What Hitchcock means to you what was your first Alfred Hitchcock film anything you want to share before we get to our list yeah uh Hitchcock is everything he is the guy who kind of got me into classic movies before I got into classic movies and I think that's the same for a lot of people but uh yeah for me I just from the moment I saw Psycho I knew I had to delve deep into this guy's filmography and it got to a point where I've seen I think I haven't seen as much as you Dave but uh I I I and I I Hope to see more in the future because I'm not done yet. And he is he's amazing. He as someone who wants to be a filmmaker um, later on in my life, uh, he, I draw a lot. Of, I try at least to draw, draw a lot of inspiration from his movies and some from his techniques. Um, and he is. Yeah, he's basically created an entire genre, which is in a time where what he was doing in his movies kind of looked down upon and frowned upon because of kind of the guidelines at the time. And I completely adore the man in his films and they mean so much to me and yeah i i yeah i'm so stoked to do this because he is he's the 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, he took something so simplistic, like a man wearing a different pair of shoes and a camera focusing on those shoes and strangers yeah. on a train to different lingerie in Psycho to kind of show a character change and a tonal shift in the person's narrative and choices. Yep. And now it's the norm, but before Hitchcock, no one was doing that. So even even the use of the MacGuffin, I don't think anyone did it better than Hitchcock back then. Yeah. I mean, to this day, I don't think anyone has touched the way oh, Hitchcock yeah. uses MacGuffins. Uh, Jack, what about you? Yeah, I mean, uh, Hitchcock was one of like the first uh, like big directors that I was aware of, like classic directors I was aware of when I was getting into cinema. And I mean, like the movies of Hitchcock are just kind of in the zeitgeist of movies as a whole. Like, if you're a fan of movies, like you know the psycho music, you know the shower scene. Um, but my love for him has come in waves. So I've started with Psycho when I was about 13, and I loved it. Um, and then I would come back to it and I would find different things like more intense, you know, like when I first saw it at like 13, I was like, oh, the cellar scene, the shower scene, the staircase, like that's all awesome. But like when I watch it today, like Marion getting followed by the cop, like that stuff, like that, that that's the kind of stuff that like really makes it like hold up on like rewatches when yeah. you get older. Um, yeah, and then yeah go, I agree. It wasn't until later. Um when I really started to get into him, it was, a, it was COVID as well. Um, yeah. I had tried to watch Vertigo like twice before, but I just couldn't get into it, you know, but it just clicked one day and it's still in my top 10 favorite movies ever. Um, and from there I went into rear window, North by Northwest. And then I started to dig in the back catalogs with like lifeboat to catch a thief. Uh, both men, both men who knew too much, uh, and yeah, it's he's one of the directors that you get into like the ground level stuff like the birds and psycho. And the more you find out about him, um, the more likely it is that stuff can get pushed down on the list because he's just got a lot of really good, consistent quality work. Yeah, I, I concur. I think the idea that I used to see when I was younger about Hitchcock just being a horror director, it seems very it just shows like lack of focus and from a cinephiles to do their research on on Hitchcock and realizing that his thematic and stylistic devices are not meant just for horror, but just thrillers and suspense films and just film as, as a whole. Um, so we were tasked all of us to do our top 10 Alfred Hitchcock films. And we're going to start with that because I, I hope that we have the same top three, but Helmer is, I love having Helmer on because he's always, he's always a man to stand on his own Island. So, <laughs> What we think will be the the guaranteed three may not be. So uh, I, rather than doing honorable mentions, I just want to touch on one film before I get into my – I'm going to do 10 through 2, and then we can just discuss uh, anything that comes in the way. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to my favorite silent film of his called The Lodger. It's, about, it's essentially about Jack the Ripper. And you see everything, like, right there. Like, what he's going to become, you start seeing it a lot there. He – doesn't put everything together as of yet in that movie, but you see, you see the makings of like a real auteur with the lodger. Highly, highly recommend it. I think it's only, if I believe it, it's only like a hundred minutes, so nothing too crazy. Uh, but in terms of my top ten, this the bottom changes all the time. So if I do this next year, it may be completely different. So my number ten is Notorious. Oh, that's my number ten. Oh, high five. <laughs> 
My number nine is a movie that when I first saw it, I didn't have the appreciation I do now. I, I saw this movie for the first time when I was like 18, 19. Didn't really like it because I don't love costume pieces. But my number nine is Best pic- best Picture winner, Rebecca. I think Rebecca is phenomenal on rewatch after rewatch. And is Hitchcock is when anyone bitches during Oscar season that fill in the blank doesn't have an Oscar. I always throw at them. Hitchcock doesn't have an Oscar. So shut the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, my number eight is maybe higher for you guys. Dial M for murder. Mm, okay. Uh, Grace Kelly is just incredible. She's incredible in everything that he, she did with him, but uh, she's specifically really, really fantastic in this one. My number seven is my first Jimmy Stewart film on the list. There will be more. Uh, the man who knew too much. Uh, Jack recently just saw that for the first time, and I'm glad that you are in the same camp as Helmer and myself, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not one that I'm over the moon about because, you know, all four Jimmy Stewart Hitchcock movies are at least four out of fives, and this one's definitely my least favorite, but it's still great, and I'm excited to rewatch in the future. And my number six is maybe higher for you guys, North by Northwest, which... Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> Nothing rude to be mad with my list, so it's all good. So North by Northwest, uh, very much one of Hitchcock's biggest scopes in film. It feel it very feels much like Nope in terms of like the grand scale of it. Uh, and I always laugh now. Every time I watch North by Northwest, I got to think of Jack and his feelings on the final shot of the movie he just doesn't appreciate a guy and a woman just like having fun doing his thing jack any thoughts on this on the finale of north by northwest before moving into my top five uh you know i've seen better transitions (laughs) (laughs) actually i'll do i'll do the three and then we'll round out our top three there uh my number five is a movie helmer does not think as highly as i do on this uh strangers on a train i need to rewatch it I I adore this movie. I think it has one of my favorite villain performances, which we will talk about later. Uh, I also think it's the first time when I saw it when I was younger, didn't know as much about film as I do now. Just the idea of like, I really, I'm a stickler for like these two shoes, the two style of different shoes going on the train before the, when the movie starts, when they're walking through the train. I just, I'm a stickler for that. And it's always stuck with me. And I just think the movie is overall fantastic. Number four is probably the best one location no not one location one take gimmick movie of all time in rope get out of here 1917 yeah get out of here man 1917s it's cute it's cute (laughs) but i don't know man i am so so enthralled by everything that happens in rope not even just jimmy stewart i mean can i say jimmy stewart may be the least best part about it and he's still great in it yeah, I, I mean, out of, out of those three, out of out of his four movies, it's his least active performance. I mean, he doesn't even come into the movie until like the last what, like 30, 40 minutes. I thought that was the best part of the movie. How I I was like, where is Jimmy Stewart? And he yeah. starts defending <laughs> murder, defending. I I, can't, I still can't believe they did that. Jimmy Stewart of all people, the all American American guy who was a fighter pilot, you know, in World War Two, starts saying, you know, murder, you know. <laughs> Take or leave it. <laughs> I'm curious, like with the whole Brandon and Philip game that they're playing. I mean, we've discussed 
<clears throat> the gay subtext in this film as opposed to other Hitchcock films. I think this is the one that pushes it out there the most. Like they mm-hmm. they have this established relationship with each other and maybe one of the things that bond them as a couple is the odd thing of murdering people <laughs> and then <laughs> they having them see if they can get away with keeping them in that little contraption the entire movie, the entire 80 minutes. I think it's fascinating. Uh but yeah, Rope is it's just Chef's Kiss, fantastic. And then I'll save my top three uh, for when you guys go. Jack, what do you got for your 10 through uh, 4? All right. So I'll go ahead and drop a couple honorable mentions. Uh, so with my Hitchcock, like, tier list or whatever, I would say that, like, the real drop-off in quality for me probably begins around, like, the 15, 16 mark. So mm-hmm. even though these are honorable mentions, still love the movies. So two honorable mentions are Lifeboat and yes. Rebecca. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I, I, a lot of really good movies. My number 10 is the one that I honestly think might be his easiest going movie and is less stressful. And that's to catch a thief. Uh, I also think it's one of his, it's one of his best looking movies. That was, I think he won. I think that won best cinematography and it's one of the only Hitchcock movies to do so. Um, but not Cary Grant and Ingrid, or not Ingrid, Grace uh, Kelly. Grace Kelly's, uh, chemistry in that is just great um number nine the man who knew too much i just watched this recently uh very good i love doris day uh and obviously jimmy stewart can't go wrong with him in anything eight dial him for murder so we had that at the same spot dave uh also just watched it recently uh, i really want to see this in 3d someday because i know that was how it was originally released back in the 50s but i can't imagine how that would have looked um, number seven, maybe a little bit low for you, Dave, but strangers on a train. Okay. I respect that. At least it's on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I knew I had to throw you a bone somewhere, but th- this whole like kind of area is like the really, really good, maybe not rewatch as often, but still great. Um, now we're getting into like the big boys. Uh, number six is notorious for me. Nice. Um, a different kind of suspense, I would say. Um, it's much more internal, really, just on the whole. Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman not trusting each other and Claude Rains, but near the end of the movie, you do get a lot of really good, like, actual, like, suspense with, like, the that, wine cellar sequence. I was going to mention that. That sequence yeah. in the cellar is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. We'll get to, get to that when we talk about the favorite scenes. Uh, number five, uh, Rope. I agree with the best one take movie ever. Uh, yeah, Far- Farley Granger also uh, making those performances was really hard because I wanted to throw him in for both uh, Strangers and Rope as an honorable mention. But yeah, the whole cast in that is great. And number four, no surprise, I'll go ahead and say with these next four, it just what whatever order they come. Number four. Rear window. Okay. Again, maybe the best Mount Rushmore for any director ever in terms of the best four movies. I think just this top four really just all masterpieces. So all are incredible. And I know we'll talk about Rear Window more as we progress. Yes, we will. Uh, Helmer, what do you got? I can't wait for the bias to come in and him have the Paul Newman Hitchcock film on this list. I actually haven't seen it yet. Um, it's not, then, I don't think it's very good. Jack, do you like I'm, it? Yeah. It's, it's my least favorite, but like, 
compared to most movies, it's pretty solid. Mm-hmm. But in Hitchcock terms, it's weak as hell. Yeah, so before I get to my list, I just want to say I have to rewatch a lot of these. A lot of these, even though I've seen like less than two years ago, I would say some of these I saw before I like became the classic movie buff that I am now. So um, on rewatch, I think a lot of these are going to do it for me um, in terms of ratings going up and then placements going up as well. So my number 10 is Notorious, like we talked about before. Really nothing special to talk about other than Claude Rains is also really good in that movie. I think he was nominated for an Oscar for his performance as well, and he was he was great. Um, number nine, Strangers on a Train. So oh, I did have yes, like let's and go. I really like it, and that um the sequence with the Ferris wheel is one of my favorite, in all, like any of Hitchcock's movie, and also the the tennis scene, the tennis when they're the, oh. yeah. So I was gonna bring up that scene is so haunting to me that everyone's just like shifting back and forth, and he's yeah. stoic, staring straight at. Ah, oh, so damn mm-hmm. good. And the tennis scene as well. Um, and as a tennis player, it's very refreshing to see people actually playing tennis in a movie without there being any cuts so i can see them actually playing the game are you better than him are you criticizing their form well farley granger didn't even he 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 was forced to play he didn't even have to play so uh yeah and um number eight is vertigo so i'll I'll let you guys (laughs) it's gonna leave that there oh my god i I love vertigo one again one of those i have to rewatch. i think it's a great movie um, I remember many, being kind of many, disappointed. How many, have you only seen it once? Yes. Okay, so that I makes mean, yeah, Jack, that, that makes sense. sense. That makes yeah. sense. <laughs> that was my <laughs> case. On the side about me, what the hell? Um, yeah, so I definitely need to rewatch it. Although I did love it, and the cinematography is great. Um, number seven, Dialing for Murder, which I had, which I think you guys had at eight. I have at seven. I think this is a great movie. I think Ray Millen's really good in it. I think the key stuff can be a little bit. Too much for me. I need to rewatch it so I can actually like understand what happened there. Um, but I also love the scene where they almost murdered Grace Kelly. So good. It was so <laughs> yeah. good. It's so good. And um, number six is Rebecca. I love Rebecca. It's one of I think his best shot movies. And I think the performances are some of his best. Joan Fontaine and Lawrence Olivier are great in the movie. And it the mystery is really cool as well with the whole Rebecca thing and um, the woman who plays. The off, I, I, I can't. One of the best Hitchcock villains as well. I can't remember her name, but the the maid. Oh, you, don't worry, I Mrs. Danvers. That's uh, right, terrible I'll, Danvers. I'll, I'll be talking about her a little. And later. also, the last shot is amazing. Um, similar to North by Northwest, but mm. um, and then my number five is the Dion Waiters of Hitchcock. Movies. Oh my god, so, I'm scared. The man who knew too much. Okay, 1956. Okay, cool. It is, uh, and if, if you guys want to explain Dion Waiters, but it is the Dion Waiters of Hitchcock movies, in my opinion. Super underrated. I think it's super, one of the most underrated parts of Hitchcock is his dark comedy. I think it's super, super underrated. I think maybe second best part of his uh, movies, in my opinion. And this movie has all of that. Jimmy Stewart and Doris Day are great. Yeah, I told this today when I first watched it, they remind me of my parents a lot. They're really, really kind of almost fed up with each other but they almost don't say it they're almost they can just look at each other or say something that's not in correlation with their marriage but you still get something out of it that's like oh these, these two people you know they're kind of they've been with each other for a long time and i think the last sequence with the uh, opera house is really good and the scene in the church as well is great and then my number four is psycho oh my god <laughs> <laughs> this, this one I rewatched a number of times, so this one I don't have any excuses. Oh my god, um, my I head hurts. Psycho. 
I, I love Psycho. I just love three of them more. Oh, Psycho. Oh my God, my head hurts. Oh, uh, that, I don't, I'll save you for last because I'm very curious. Like, uh, sorry, I'll save like my tiny flaws with Psycho for when we talk about it later. I think there are reasons I have it at number four. I think we have. I wonder if we've talked. About, I I do have flaws with Psycho, but I'm, I wonder I, if it's I the think same it's one. Similar with everybody, where it's like some the, of the stuff after Marion's murder, like. A lot of the stuff with her sister. Oh no! That, I, I give me all that fucking shit. It's, no, it's, it's great. It's great, but it's not like as amazing as the first half. Alrighty, so uh, Jack, what do you got for your top three? All right, so I'll go ahead and make that two off the board. My number three is Psycho. Yeah, oh, you two. You two. <laughs> Better than four. Oh, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, there's really like, I don't know what more I can say other than just let me handle yeah, it, Jack. Let me handle psycho. <laughs> yeah. Just the differences in what's really affected me and given me suspense over the years, just the differences in how the violence uh, has kind of just been overshadowed by just like the smaller mundane things that are just, Really amplified by Hitchcock's direction. I actually think. I mean, I'll get to it uh, when we when I talk about it. I actually think the shower scene. Yes, it's impressive everything he did, but mm-hmm. it's also nowhere near my favorite scene in the movie. It's actually more yeah. of the smaller moments for me that, that really like, stand out for Psycho. It would not be top three if I had to make mine. Like for from uh, Psycho. Same here. Same here. Uh, my number two is North by Northwest. Um, I think uh, speaking of Hitchcock's fun movies, uh, kind of just like the prequel to james bond uh i think this is his most accessible and probably his most hollywood-esque movie um and i i mean Cary grant as roger thornhill that's just i think one of the most fun characters his line delivery in any situation is just impeccable um and his chemistry with eva marie saint um it was really risque for 1959 uh kind of Crazy, or it's really interesting to see him sneak by these like little like nuances and uh, innuendos in the conversations. And this was definitely one where I feel like had to have been hard. And number one, no surprises here for those who know me. Vertigo. Uh, I said it earlier, it's the movie that has grown the most on me as I've than a Hitchcock fan. Uh, the stuff that I used to find the most boring in the movie has become my favorite. All the scenes of Stuart following uh, Madeline in the car is just unreal. Uh, and he just uses um, a formula that he uses all throughout Rear Window of just shot, point of view, reaction shot. And that's just what the whole movie is. So, yeah, and it's just one of the best mysteries for me, in my in my opinion, that... I don't know if I want to touch on. We'll maybe touch on it more later, but yeah. So you guys touch into it. I'll piggyback off that. That's my number three. Uh, Vertigo. I think this is one. The reason my top two are my top two is because it didn't take us. It didn't need a second view for me to just appreciate it. I kind of just love my top two just from the jump, and I just appreciate the filmmaking aspects more as I've gotten older. But yeah, Vertigo is a plain masterpiece. I mean, I think it's some of the best use of colors in film. Some of the best shots I've seen in a movie, probably, we'll talk about it in a little bit, 
in the top two scores of his career, of Bernard Harmon's career. Um, the music adds so much. And I mean, we're going to talk about performances in a little bit, but Kim Novak and Jimmy Stewart are just on another level of good. It, it's unfathomable that the Oscars said, now we're good. I like, prefer the Kim Novak, Jimmy Stewart movie of the same year, Bell, Book, and Candle. I hate Bell, Book, and Candle. My wife, showed, my wife showed me that during COVID, and I never thought I would dislike a Jimmy Stewart movie. That that's movie the only, is I so... think that's the only Jimmy Stewart movie I don't like. That is. Greatest show on earth. I haven't seen it. Uh, if you want to count it. that. But that that was barely even. I haven't seen it, but isn't that yeah. he's in it for like two seconds, maybe? <laughs> right? He's, he's like not in it. He's, a, no, he's not in it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, now I can't. I, now you got me thinking about Greatest Showman and how Greatest Show on Earth and how bad that movie is. <laughs> um, you'd think him playing a clown would be interesting, but no, it's, it's pretty bad. But yeah, we'll talk about the performances in a bit. Uh, my number two and one, oh, man, I don't even know. I love both of them so equally. Uh, number two is Psycho. The Jack, you look surprised. Uh, I am. Yeah, I will. I'll explain maybe more so when we talked about performances because I thought the ranking of one might help the movie itself. Um, you may talk me into it because this this alternates all the time too. Actually, my one and mm-hmm. two have been uh, my number two, Psycho. Number one, Rear Window. You can convince me otherwise to, that my my thoughts are wrong here. Uh, but no, with Psycho, I think we're gonna talk about performances. I mean, Anthony Perkins is. I will talk about more of him later. I think it's just masterful what he's doing uh where i where i struggle if there is anything that i struggle is i thought helmer was going to say this was the scene after norman is captured the Mm -hmm. whole explanation sequence i i know hitchcock was forced to write that in but i also think he could have just i think he could have stood his ground because he was hitchcock by 1960 and not have that in and just end with the capture and then the sequence with him him and his mother when his mother's talking so when mm-hmm. Norma talks, I, I feel like that's where you put the button on it. We don't need the explanation, but I guess at that time it was definitely a different era. So the studio wanted him to to explain that. So we mentioned the shower sequence before. The reason it's not my top, like in my favorite scene in the movie, because the scene before that goes into it so beautifully. And we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But yeah, Rear Window, I think it's the best one location movie of all time. I mean, we can talk about 12 Angry Men and all that fun stuff, that that cute movie. Uh, but 12 Angry Men doesn't, like, tighten my asshole the way Rear Window does. The tension in that movie, especially when Grace Kelly's in the apartment, and you're like, oh, my God, is he going to kill her? And Hitchcock did nothing to make you think that he wouldn't kill her off. I mean, he killed off a dog without even thinking twice in that movie. Um, but like Jack said, I love that the POV shots in that movie are phenomenal. Uh, and for someone that is married, no one fucks as long as that couple did in, in Rear Window. <laughs> well, they were the newlyweds. I, I, so no, Jack, no one fu- J- Jack, no one fucks that consistently in movies. I mean, in real life. No, mar- I mean, no TV, no radio. What else do you do back I, then? <laughs> 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 Technically, there is there is television in 1954. Um, but no, all jokes aside, I think performance-wise, Grace Kelly is phenomenal. I mean, I know no one's mentioned it yet, but like Jimmy Stewart fumbling Grace Kelly three times in this movie. Bro, is, dude. Like, I, 
That, that, was, his age? that, that on, was the dude. first thing I wrote in my letterbox review when I rewatched it this past week. It's just like any scene of him like upsetting her. I'm just like, why would you do this, my friend? Do you think L- LB Jeffries outkicked his coverage with Lisa? Even just as – just even – oh, you don't know what I'll kick your coverage is? Oh, so I'll, no. kick, I'll kick your coverage is something I say when Overstay like – Overstay your welcome. Oh, no, when a guy gets a girl prettier than he deserves. Uh, <laughs> well, and that's essentially what like the first like – that first like big dialogue scene with uh, Thelma Ritter is. He's just like, oh, she's too perfect and I'm just like normal. Yeah, like because I think Jamie Stewart is a handsome guy. Don't, that's not even why I yeah. think he outkicked his coverage. I'm like, bro, like – you don't even want to like change for this woman. Like at least do something for a compromise. That's why I love at the end where Lisa's, and I love this is the way the movie ends. Lisa doesn't change. She's still the same person that she was when she's reading the article. As soon as he falls asleep, she brings out her fashion magazine and just reads that. Or I really like that final shot of the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, LB, like I know you got a broken leg, but that's Grace fucking Kelly. Just, She's bringing twenty one to you. Let me tell you, twenty one is closed now in New York, but it's one of the, was one of the most expensive restaurants in New York. So, uh, but yeah, Rear Window, I love it. Psycho, I love it. Those are my top two. Helmer, finish us off on this area. So my number three is Rope, which I have home place over Psycho. Um, I so I, I love I love Rope so much. Um, I'm a huge one location film guy. I really and I really this is the original one location film. Nobody's done it like this before. Um and it, the film is constantly, like I said, teasing you. Uh, there's a lot of dark comedy in there, which I think is really underrated. Like I mentioned in my previous entries on my list, just knowing who the killers are and seeing them kind of tease the other characters with it, I think is really, really funny and really, really cool for the time. And I think that the performances I gr- are great. John Fall and Farley Granger are really good in the roles. I think James Stewart playing a different kind of character. This is one of my favorite performances of his, actually. And I think the ensemble, the supporting cast is really great as well. Hitchcock just really knows how to write older people. He's been really good at, good at it from everything from like Frenzy with the whole food debacle in that movie. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. And to, you know, I don't know, uh, the villains and the man who knew too much. He just knows how to write older people. And in Rope, um, you get a lot of that. And the climax is really cool. The production design is really neat as well. And yeah, and then my number two is North by Northwest, which Jack had it as number eight placement. That's not the reverse vertigo effect for for. Oh, you had it number six. Dave, Dave had it. I had it too. No, Dave was Dave, Dave had, had it, yeah. it at number eight. It oh, is more than me. cute, my friend. It is a masterpiece. I love North by Northwest so much. Um, Cary Grant is one of my favorite, probably my favorite Hitchcock protagonist. I really love him in this movie. Even Murray Saint is great. James Mason's in it. Even a young Martin Landau. And the it shot so well. Oh, sorry, Dave. I can't hear you. No, I was gonna say he played a really good villain, Marlando. Yeah, he just looks. He looks. He, he looks. He's a handsome man. He's a handsome he man. Like somebody who you don't want to be like. Yeah. You don't want to lie to. Con- and, I concur. And it's shot so well. Like I remember that shot where it's like a really. It's like short. It's like a 10, 15 second shot. But like. When he's walking out of the building and you get yes. a Y that's directly looking down. Like, you know what I'm yeah. talking about, Jack. It is that so cool. Weird. I remember seeing that and I like replayed it. I'm like, I need to soak this in. This is so cool. And the crop dusting scene is so neat, especially because at the beginning of that scene, there's no music. So you just see an airplane coming towards him. He's like, and you're like, oh, it's just, you know, a plane. 
and then you realize it gets really close to him and you're like, what the hell is happening? It gets closer and closer. And also, oh, you know, I'm not going to mention this because it's one of my favorite scenes, but I'll get to it. The music is great. Mm-hmm. The I think I know what scene you're talking about. The, the climax with uh, Mount Rushmore is so good. It is. <laughs> it, it might not it, be too believable now, but I still think it's really cool. Uh, I love, and I forgot to mention it where it's all. I do love that scene. I think the finale yeah. works really well. I just love that Richie Rich, the 1993 Macaulay Culkin movie, stole that scene. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen that movie. They, the, finale, the finale ends on Mount Rushmore, and they have a secret lab in Mount Rushmore. Oh, that'll tell you how good the movie is, then. A movie like Richie Rich. Like, <laughs> yeah, Northwest. And then, should I go for my number one? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah. Um, Rear Window. Yes. Rear Window is my number one. It is Rear Window is something else. And I think I rewatched it this year or last year. I'm sorry. I gave it five stars. The five stars it deserves. I think Jack will get there very soon, too, like you mentioned in his review. It is just, uh, it is everything everybody loves. Everything that embodies how good Hitchcock is. You have, you know, the camera work. You have, the, you know, the witty script. You have the tension. You have the characters. You have the, the commentary. Like you mentioned, the, it's basically a feminist film with Grace Kelly's character, and like you mentioned, Dave, um, with her at the end, not really conforming to, you know, what, what her man really wants, you know, doing what she wants, you know. Uh, and um, that scene, like you said, with her almost getting killed is so good. The, the climax, although, you know, silly for a lot of people. I <laughs> yeah, cool. I like it. I like I, it. I think it's interesting. I think it works. And I think it's really neat as well. Um, and I think it's really, it, it puts you in the shoes of the protagonist like no other film does. The introduction to the movie is really neat as well. And just nobody's been able to, multiple movies have tried to copy what Rear Window has done since, like movies like Disturbia and um, stuff like that. And nobody's been able to, they even made a remake with Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve, yeah, I remember that. And nobody has been able to do it since. The way the camera moves, almost like a dollhouse, the way you're going from one you know apartment to the other is so neat and they then you never actually go into the building you know in front of us you never actually and filmmakers today would de- like even take like a david fincher and i love david fincher there is no way that a filmmaker today would make that type of movie and do what hitchcock did and not have you know us inside that building not inside what's his name's apartment i and agree the fact that we're in the same place that entire time look seeing everything from lb jeffrey's camera i think is so powerful and I think it's also incredibly hilarious. <clears throat> the script, if you just go on IMDb, look at the quotes from that movie. It is so funny. And I did I did forget to mention in terms of the neighbors. I, I gotta love the the really attractive like blonde that's you think is, you know, when her her, her Miss Corset, is that her the, name? I believe so when her husband I uh comes back from the war it's like this small scrawny guy and you're just like oh yeah i really yeah. Like, I actually do like that yeah, sequence yeah. a lot um and also I, I didn't mention before you nailed it helmer i do love the fact that you never go into the, anyone's apartment but i do love the perspectives of each of their neighbors changes from the opening of the film to the end of the film um yeah. that really really works for me and I, I shout out to the couple that loses their uh their dog to get a nice new pup at the end of the movie. As a, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm glad that happened. What about Miss Lonely Heart? She finally got her man at the end. She does. Yeah. I, I thought. Kill, I mean, Hitchcock's like doesn't give a shit, but like, <laughs> I, I thought he was gonna kill her off too. I was like, oh man, we're really going dark here. The first time I saw it. Um, one last but thing. Also that apartment with the parties. That, that apartment's lit. 
I'm sorry. Yeah, I like the penthouse with the I'm... piano. So I gotta say, <laughs> I got, I, while the party would be cool to be at, I'd hate to be a neighbor if I'm trying yeah. to sleep during that party. Because that, that looked like it was a loud party. Uh, shot, And I do shout out to Lars Thorwald. I love the way he was shot. He makes... He reminds me, uh, for any wrestling fans out there, the way he was shot, it makes me feel like that was like Andre the Giant in comparison yeah. to like a Grace Kelly. I thought the, he was shot perfectly. I don't know why he reminds me of Jack. Maybe it's the glasses. <laughs> wait, wait, Mr. Thorwald? Mr. Thorwald. God, any, any motherfucker with glasses. Like, oh, I think that's, that's the guy. Guy. I think yeah. that's the like, gimmick. Let's see. Thomas Mitchell and It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, no, that's Helmer. That's Helmer. That, that one's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for me, it's Thorwald. I mean, how tall are you, Jack? I'm, like, right on the verge of six feet. There you go. Thorwald's probably, like, 6'5", but Cameron making him look like six, like 6'11", so there you go. You are now Mr. Thorwald going forward. Um, <laughs> but, yes, uh, it, and the biggest takeaway that I didn't mention was the fact that even though we never go into them, even though we don't really spend time personally with any of these neighbors, I feel like we – we develop a bond with them. Like we don't have conversations with them, but there's a bond developed with everybody. But yeah, we have spent enough time on our top 10. Let's get into our top five scores. This is too hard for me. So I think I fucked up here somewhere. So I'm not going to start this one. Uh, Jack, we talked about this off the air for a few days. I'll let you do your five through one. What are your top five favorite Hitchcock scores? Okay. All right. So I, I didn't want to over centralize on one name. So I, I had to you had to and look look for some other names. Uh, so number five, I've got uh, Dimitri Tiomkin's score for Dial M for Murder. Oh, that's uh, my number five too. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, the scores in Hitchcock movies, um, especially earlier on in his career, um, weren't really like more I subtle. Guess, yeah, they were more subtle. Like even Rear Window, I mean, there's not a whole lot of like significant music in that movie, at least to my recollection. Um, but no, the music for that is really good. Uh, number four, I have Rebecca for uh, that's Nicholas my number Rosa. four as well. Yeah, I'm, I mean Nicholas Rosa. We've talked about him off the line. That's my uh, my underrated golden age Hollywood composer. Who did the music for Double Indemnity, uh, Ben Hur, a bunch of other stuff. But in wait, Rebecca, wasn't the music for Rebecca Franz uh, Waxman? I got I got Mick. Oh, it was. I just like looked it up. I don't know why I found that. Okay, yeah. Anyways, uh, but no, the music for Rebecca, uh, yeah, is just really good job of just laying like the undertone and just giving music behind the actors for them to talk and just kind of add that uh, further tone. Yeah, um, I think they handle Mrs. Danvers really well with the score. I think the score mm-hmm. is best used when she's around. Yeah. I guess go go through your top three. Just do it. Okay. <laughs> you right. know, you know, so, we know what it is. Yeah, so the top three, all composed by the great Bernard Herrmann. Number three was North by Northwest. My number three as well. Incredible, really exciting action, like action score. The opening theme, uh, still really exciting. Now, here's where we might split off, David. 50% chance. My number two I is know. Psycho. As iconic as it gets, you know, I mean, the shower music, incredible, but the opening credit music and the music that plays whenever they fo- they follow, that's the that's the real highlight of the score for me. Same um, as me. 
Yeah. I mean, it's not my number two, but yeah. Yeah. And then number one, Vertigo. The the second that music starts, it's just, I just completely become entranced. Would you say it's Herman's most haunting score? Ooh, it's either that or Citizen Kane. Because I really feel... The opening of Citizen Kane is also, like, really eerie, but... I think the scene where, um... Where... Where, uh... Where Kim Novak becomes Madeline. Where Judy becomes Madeline. And that turn and the use of the score. Um, mm-hmm. God, so, so haunting. Love that. Yeah. Alright, yeah. So, for me, I literally have the same five as you, Jack. Except I have Psycho at number one. Uh, outside of the... The shower scene, which is probably one of the most iconic pieces of music ever made. Uh, I think the opening sequence and the uh, when Marion is being tracked down by the police officer, that's the best use of the score. Also, just the subtle tones used when Norman Bates is talking to Sam Loomis. Uh, mm-hmm. Even even the, even because there's a lot of quiet moments in that scene, but when the score is sprinkled in, I think it's effectively used. Uh, but yeah, uh, we pretty much have the same five. Helmer, I, I have a feeling that... Be different from us. <laughs> very different yeah. from us. So my number five is Rebecca, also Franz Waxman. Really epic score. One of the early... I don't know if it's the earliest collaboration between Waxman and Hitchcock, but yeah, love that score. Number four is Rear Window. Another Franz Waxman score which I really love again, kind of jazzy, more upbeat than some of the other ones. Um, my number three, it was close between my number three and number two. I went back and forth between multiple times, but because one of them is more tracked than the other, I think I'm going to go North by Northwest at number three. Um, the main theme, I absolutely love. It's, It might be my favorite main theme of any Hitchcock movie, but because I, there's more of a variety of tracks than the other ones, I have to go number two, Vertigo. Which, you know, the beginning, I would contend that I like the beginning, like the beginning kind of uh, melody of the Vertigo, like the iconic one from Vertigo compared to the Psycho one, which I think is really cool. And my, But my number one is Psycho. Um, I really love the Psycho score, like everyone. And I will also say my favorite track is probably, like Jack mentioned, the one where Marion Key is driving. And um, the more you listen to it, the more mysterious and the more you kind of get into it. And uh, yeah, that's my number one. Yeah, and yeah. to go back in the cycle score, my favorite part of the shower scene score is not even a beep; it's a dun 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 dun. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's where I like the most. There. Uh, all right, and now our top five favorite moments in a Hitchcock film. Um, I'm gonna go by through this quick. Uh, so my number five is from Strangers on the Train, where Bruno kills Miriam. Mm-hmm. So that sequence works for me too. It's one of the most visually inventive shots where you see him being her, him killing her, Bruno killing her through her glasses, and I think that's a really brilliant, brilliant shot. Uh, my number four is Helmer talked about it before: the murder attempt in Dial M for Murder, where Homie tries to kill Grace Kelly and is just a really, really bad assassin. <laughs> just if we're if we're gonna nitpick something like. He could he could have hired someone better. Jack Renault. <laughs> he did see that guy has glass. He does not look like Jack Renault. There you Thank you. Thank you. Number three is going to Vertigo. Uh, the moment Judy becomes Madeline in Vertigo. I yes, Vertigo has amazing sequences, but that really sticks out for me and kind of shows the moment for me where Scotty becomes a villain in the story. Mm-hmm. 
Like I've I've seen Vertigo from a young perspective. Now I'm seeing it as an adult, and I just see I'm like, yo, Scotty's an obsessive. He's manipulative. He, you don't think he's man? You don't think so? I like Scotty. Well, I just I just think it it it, well the movie itself is so loaded because like all of that is true, and at the same time he's getting duped by, like he's completely that is true. yeah. Like what it, I will it's say, just about loaded, it's just a loaded movie. Like there's so what much happening. What I will say about like... Scotty, and this is kind of a rant on my end, but what he does to that cop at the beginning of Vertigo is absolutely. It is. Uh, I, I'm I'm still pissed about it. It is. Uh, in that, what is that he? Cop went, he doesn't like do anything. He doesn't do anything, but the cop went to save him, and yeah, got it. And I mean, you're right. But another reason he, that that he's a complete asshole. Yo, my girl Midge, nothing, nothing, For real. nothing. Yeah, she's sweet. Just shake glasses. She she wants to hang with him. She likes him for him. Sure, she may not be as stunning as Kim Novak, but Jimmy Stewart should know. Like he he got Grace Kelly. He's not gonna outkick his coverage twice. So he should have <laughs> just should have just hung out with Midge. Uh, but yeah, all jokes aside, the use of the score. The, the moment she turns around, the colors used in that sequence, phenomenal for me. And my number two is going back to Rear Window, the moment Lisa gets caught and Thor, you think Thorwald is going to kill her. And going all the way back to where she has uh, her hand behind her back and she shows uh, the ring. And then we go to the scene where Thorwald is trying to choke her, and that sequence is fantastic. And uh, my number one is a combo. So I started at the conversation at the Bates Motel where Norman gives Marion the sandwich, and you really see who Norman Bates really is, and you see him fighting with himself and Norma in that that whole sequence. And the way that sequence is shot that really gets me is the fact that you don't if you don't know psycho and you rewatch psycho the way it's shot is you have hitchcock shoots norman with a shadow like of a, mm-hmm. behind him but he doesn't shoot mary in that way so i feel like there he's trying to tell us the duality of who he is as a person and also just him fighting the fact that he has an attraction for mary and i mean who wouldn't and the fact that Norma doesn't want any other woman around him. You see him fighting through that. Plus that leading into the shower sequence. I think that's probably my favorite 25 minutes in any Hitchcock film. All right, Jack, what's your five? All right. Uh, I just want to throw a couple honorable mentions out right quick. Um, I've got the Royal Albert Hall sequence in uh, The Man Who Knew Too Much. Um, And then Drunk Driving in North by Northwest. (laughs) Uh, those two scenes almost made the list, but I had to cut them. Uh, number five for me is the wine cellar in Notorious. Great. Uh, like I like I mentioned, a lot of the movie isn't the kind of suspense you'd expect from Hitchcock. It's more of the mistrust between the characters, but this is more of a return to form. The entire last, really the last 20 minutes, I think, is as intense as the movie gets, and it really reaches great heights. Um Number four for me is Rupert opening the chest in rope. Um, really, Good just one. From, yeah, really just from when he Rupert's about to leave and he's given the wrong hat, uh, and he sees like the monogram, uh, just like that entire ending and him slowly but like surely breaking them and getting them to reveal what happened, uh, and then him firing the gun out the window 
as his way to like bring attention to the situation i think was just a chilling way to end the movie uh, my number three i also did a combo i have written down any scene of scotty tailing madeline in vertigo uh, <laughs> just all of the like different clues and stuff that he picks up on that he's gonna that he's gonna utilize throughout the rest of the movie uh like her at the museum the flower shop uh and then later on, the four-point sequence where she jumps in the water, that's also just incredible. Uh, my number two, um, the psycho scene was hard, uh, but I I came down to Norman in the jail cell at the end. Uh, I completely agree with what you were saying earlier. I think the what happens outside of the jail cell with all of that, um, with all that exposition kind of loses me. Uh, I think it was kind of, a shallow way to go about it but again that final scene of the inner monologue of the mother that's just so chilling and then my number one is lisa getting caught in rear window awesome uh, movie was number four on my list but i mean the final 20 minutes or so of rear window is just it's so insane and then before we get to thanks jack before we get to helmer i forgot to mention some honorable mentions a crop dusting scene in north by northwest the mm-hmm. Uh, the toilet, the reason I put the toilet is because it's the first time a toilet has been flushed ever in a movie in Psycho. Uh, the final scene in Psycho, like you mentioned. The arrival, none of us talked about the birds. I just want to show how much we oh, actually... Yeah. I'm, I, I got to give ourselves props because it actually shows how much we know Hitchcock and realize that that movie is not as good as people think or certain demos think. Um, the fi- the finale of the birds though is a sequence that I didn't want to. I think it's haunt. I I'm terrified of birds. Full disclosure, I had a turkey chase <laughs> me when I was 17 when I was on vacation in Cuba. Um, so the sequence where the birds, there was no giant action set piece. It's just the birds decided to stop, and them walking out of that house is probably the scariest moment in the movie for me because it just. They stopped, and at any moment, they could choose to attack again, so I thought that was really good. Um, and this, uh, none of us have talked about this movie, but the Statue of Liberty sequence is Saboteur. I think it's phenomenal. It's his, mm, yeah. his first big piece, I uh, action set piece uh, in his movies, I think. So, yeah, Helmer, go finish us off on, on moments. So, for my honorable mentioned, I, mentions, I think we, we all hit the nail on the head with some of these, because a lot of mine are the similar, similar as yours, but the attempted murder and dial him for murder in the crop dusting scene were my honorable mentions. My number five is the shower scene in Psycho. Not even going to go into explanation. Don't think I have to. My number four is the opera scene in The Man Who Knew Too Much. Mm. Um, really tense scene. One where so much is happening at the same time. And the camera goes to so many different places, making you like so overwhelmed. The music, the tension. Um, yeah, one of my favorite Hitchcock scenes. My number three is the scene that I vaguely mentioned that Jack tried to guess. And it is... So good. It is the uh, the bidding scene in North by Northwest. <laughs> this scene is so good and so clever. A man literally trying to get caught by the cops. He's trying to commit a crime. He's trying to make this room of people hate him. And by it, it's just amazing. It's Cary Grant's best. I don't know. I think it's like if I were to point someone in the direction of why Cary Grant is so good as an actor, I would point them to this scene. Uh, that that scene might have my my favorite line delivery in the movie. It's the, uh, like, well, we know one thing. You're no phony. You're a genuine idiot. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the calmest response. It's, uh, I'll get more into that later. Um, my number two is the cop scene in Psycho. 
this scene yeah. is one of the it's the, one of the most uneasiest scenes in the movie because this cop is just doing his job there's nothing like shady about what he's doing here and the way he shot though with those glass with those menacing glasses he it, it makes him out to be something that he definitely isn't but something you know that you think you, know, you think something's wrong with this guy and um the way he just keeps following Marion, the way he's just creepily standing there. Um, and again, he doesn't want anything. He's not really doing anything that's illegal. He's not doing anything monstrous. He's just a guy trying to do his job. You know? it's, it's, yeah, especially because, like, Marion is mad sauce. Like, she gets exactly. Hard. Like, he instantly has a reason. Like, I, exactly. If you watched it, I was like, yeah, you have totally have a reason to just, like, tailor And then all of a sudden, she decides, you know what? You know what? I think I need a new car, and I'm just going to pay yeah. you up front in cash. Listen, I get, I do get you. I do get you. But, man, if I'm the car salesman, I don't give a fuck how you're paying me. You're paying me cash. I'm no, good. No, I Take the car. The car salesman. Yeah. But, uh, but as the cop, I'm like, okay, this lady is. This, this lady is. But as the car salesman, made my day. No tax. Don't, even, don't tax my money. You know, I get that cash yep. myself. Great day at the office. Shout out to his bow tie. <laughs> yes, yeah. and the fact that he actually wanted to help her—he's like, "Are you sure? Yep. You sure, you don't want to take it for a test run?" That guy—I uh, I want a car salesman like that back in the good old day, or the, you know, that—that—that's a good salesman. And uh, my number one is the Snoop when um, Grace Kelly is caught in in rear window. window. Awesome. It is, yeah. All right, Jack, your five performances. <sighs> All right, so some honorable mentions here. The most I have actually. Um, uh, Carrie Grant, Notorious, uh, Kim Novak in Vertigo. Oh, uh, Ray Mil- Ray oh Mil- I know yeah. why. I know why. All right. I, re- I remember you told me why. Ray, Ray Milanda Dylan from Murder. Martin Landau in North by Northwest. Talked about him earlier. Just really fun performance. And um, I was talking about the birds earlier, not liking the movie as much. I think Tippi Hedren is great. Uh, not enough to make my five, but I think she's excellent whenever I watch the movie. Uh, my number five is James Stewart in Rear Window. Uh, limiting this limiting this list to only one movie of his was a challenge. Did I do it? You might see. Um, but, I mean, just everything that he's able to do, just, like, from a wheelchair even, it just goes to show that, like, the physicality in his face and just what he does with his line deliveries just really able to sympathize with him just like in any situation he is, he's in uh number four from the same movie grace kelly uh, without question my favorite of one of my favorite hitchcock recurring collaborators uh, she's just such a loving person and she like just wants the best for Stuart, for um jeffries and is willing to like put herself in some dangerous situations even though it's kind of weird that uh, Jeff Freeze is just really okay with putting her in said situations. Uh, my number three is Cary Grant, North by Northwest. Uh, and Helmer and I have been going back on it. Uh, the, kind of the prequel to James Bond. Really fun character. And this kind of sets the tone for all the spy movies. And Probably still the best like James a, Bond movie that doesn't have James Bond. Yeah, yeah it kind of gives like a... Also feels reminiscent of like a Han Solo Indian, like that dry, like, but witty kind of reluctant hero. Um, <clears throat> number two, uh, Anthony Perkins in Psycho. Dave oh, Pinnacle. my God. 
I, <laughs> I gave you top two, buddy. But I know that's uh, – is that your second or third favorite performance of all time? Number three. Number three? Okay, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, Anthony Perkins, each time I've watched that movie, he's just gotten more creepy and more creepy. But the man who was able to beat him is my third favorite performance of all time, and that is James Stewart in Vertigo, <laughs> which I also consider to be not only the worst omission for an Oscar nomination, he should have won. Who won that year? Who, Do you remember who won that year? I really hope it wasn't the Marty. I think that was the Marty year. I hope it was not. Yeah. Marty. That was 19, 1959 Academy Awards, right? Because I know Vertigo and Psycho were back-to-back. Before uh, uh, North by Northwest was 59, so Vertigo was 58. Oh, okay, so never mind. North- I, got, I was yeah. off by a year. So Best Picture, was it even nominated? It wasn't even nominated. Nope. nope. Oh, yeah. man. So Actor went to 19 – wait, uh – Gigi, that was a Gigi year. Oh, that one best actor? Uh, no, David oh. Neven for Separate Tables, one okay. best actor. Well, that didn't age well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I think Jimmy Stewart and Vertigo. I think we we kind of touched on it earlier. Him as like an everyman. I think that was just such a good touch because when you first watch the movie, you kind of feel bad for him. But like as you grow older and the more you watch it, you kind of that image starts to go away and his true colors really start to show. And I think it's also just like Rear Window, it's a really expressive movie. A lot of the movie is him reacting to like no words or anything, just like him following Madeline in the car and all those reactions and stuff. I just think it's, it's, it's incredible. It's in my top five. (laughs) (laughs) Helmer, what do you got? So my, Number I had a lot of honorable mentions too. I eliminated the two though because I didn't want to. You know I'm not giving out participation trophies. Um, <laughs> my number seven I had a dual honorable mention of John Fall and Farley Granger and Rope because I couldn't pick one of them for my top five because together that's where all the yeah. magic happens. My number six is Thelma Ritter and Rear Window. Who? Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, that's a good I mean, one. This is, this is Thelma Ritter. If you've seen her in other movies, she's fairly similar. But in this movie, she's, I think, the best. And she just doesn't give a shit. She doesn't give a yeah, shit. She, she might be the smartest person in the movie. She, she is. is. <laughs> yeah. And I think she has the best one-liners in the movie, I she think. She does. For sure. She does. And the fact that she genuinely gets, like, interested in what's happening, she genuinely gets, like, really involved, is really cool. And, um, yeah, I just, I love the character. So I'm heading into my number five. So. My number five is Joan Fontaine, Rebecca. Someone mm-hmm. who you're following throughout the entire movie. You are in her shoes the entire time. She's very, um, she expresses a lot with her face and her eyes. And yeah, I just think her relationship with Lawrence Olivia is also great. So she's my number five. My number four was Grace Kelly in Rear Window. One of the most iconic female performances of all time, in my opinion. Someone who is just, you know, she's like the type of girl that any guy wants to be with. You know, like, she's adventurous. She's willing to do anything. She's um, she's upbeat. She's funny. She's fun, um, and she also is in probably the most iconic wardrobe of all time. I think for any for any character, yep. I think. Mm. My number three is Janet Leigh in Psycho. Um, someone else who you know, she's just one of those characters, and I think we've all been there. We just had a really bad day. Someone who just made a decision just right then and there, and decided to stick with it, just a spur of the moment thing, and now she's trying to live with it. 
um, someone who's kind of troubled in the way, in the situation she's in, and she's trying to get out of it. So, um, And also those scenes, again, when I talked about Joan Fontaine face acting, every scene with her, and I can't imagine how it was, how she, because how it was shot with Hitchcock probably yelling at her while she was, uh, because again, that sound, the music is the only sound in those scenes. So I can only imagine what Hitchcock was yelling while she was trying to act in that scene, in uh, those scenes. Um, and number two, Anthony Perkins in Psycho. Love the performance. <laughs> My number two, you know, that's that's a good spot. Well, my number yeah, two. If, if we combined our lists, I think if we combined our lists, Anthony Perkins would be number one. No, it wouldn't. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, oh, yeah, it would. Yeah, the average is out. Yeah. Two, in, yeah. And um, my number one is, of course, my Paul, character. My Paul Newman. Harry Grant in North by Northwest. Nice. Is, uh, I mean, God, he's he's just so amazing in this movie. His line delivery, like Jack said, is just expertly done. It is so, so, so good. And he's so such a relatable guy because he's just a normal guy. He's an advertisement guy, you know, and he just gets caught up in the situation he doesn't want to be in. This is the last thing he wants to do. And um, he just gets caught up into it, and he has to, you know, live with it. And he has to keep going. And uh, I love the performance. So many great one-liners, and yeah. So, being the era that we're in in that movie, it's 1959. Do you think that Cary Grant's character worked with Don Draper? Oh, ooh. And do you think they were friends? They definitely were friends. I, they would have gotten along. Yeah, those conversations would have just been wow. He'd be like, <laughs> he's like, man, I was on Mount Rushmore, and then I was just randomly on a train having sex with. Even Marie saying, and this guy named Jack just really hates it. Yeah, dude. <laughs> um, so yeah, all right. For me, I I kind of eliminated my honorable mentions. You guys were talking since you guys mentioned him. The only one I'll mention is Robert Walker as Bruno in Strangers on a Train. I pretty much mentioned uh, why I liked him so much before. Number five, I have Judith Anderson and as Mrs. Danvers in Rebecca. Um, so I feel like she was probably early on in Hitchcock's career, probably the most frightening. And some of my notes here, frightening, intense, pure evil, and probably the first line of Hitchcock's obsessive characters, because you can tell she had a love for Rebecca and she didn't want anyone to replace Rebecca. And I thought the way she had such a commanding physical performance that even when you get to the end where she pretty much is like, if this house, if I can't have Rebecca, this house is going with her. Um, I thought she was fantastic. Number four is Kim Novak. Uh, got to give her some love i think helmer mentioned it and so did you jack i think it's a lot in the eyes her performance is yes she has great lines great delivery but i think a lot of the performances with the eyes and i kind of really feel bad for her at the end because Mm -hmm. um scotty is scotty is the reason she dies uh, but I thought, yeah, she was fantastic. Should have been nominated for an Academy Award. She should have won. Do I believe that? Hold on. So she. I think Vertigo should have probably swept. Susan, <laughs> Definitely better than Gigi. Susan Hayward from I Want to Live won. I don't. I've never seen that movie. No. Um, yeah. My number three is Janet Lee in Psycho. Yeah. Um, so I think. Helmer touched on a lot, but the only thing I want to add is in such amount of small screen time, 
it takes someone who could deliver a lot in a small amount of time and needs you, the audience member, to engage with that character. So when the moment comes in the shower, you're like, fuck, what? What? <laughs> I can't believe she's gone. Not only is the first time that it was done, but it's done in such an effective way that I don't think any MacGuffin level character has ever been touched. Um, one, you also have to have someone that you believe that Norman's having this complex battle with himself of being in love with her and the fact that Norma as his mother doesn't want her around. And Janet Lee in 1960 was A+. Plus. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think she's probably, in my opinion, I'm glad Helmer had her, but I think she's one of the most underrated performances in Hitchcock films because of how little she's in it. But I think she has so much to do in 40 minutes that it's, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable what she does. Number two is Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo. There you go. He's my number two. Um, <laughs> Let's go. I think he's one of the main reasons, the number one reason that I hold this movie in such high regard because we talked about whether Scotty's the villain and you look at Jimmy Stewart, the way Helmer mentioned is like this everyday guy. It took me being 30 something years old to realize, man, Scotty's doing some really shady stuff, but that's how good Jimmy is that he's made. He doesn't bring that conversation to your mind right away. That's just incredible acting. I mean, Jimmy Stewart is probably outside of tough. I'll ask you both. Mr. Smith goes to Washington or this as his all time best. It's a Wonderful Life. I oh, think Bert, I was going to say, I think Bert, but It's a Wonderful Life is in second place. Okay, cool, cool, cool. It's a yeah. Wonderful Life is my number three for him, but it's still, I'm definitely props. Where's Mr. Potter for you guys? Mr. Potter? Uh, Mr. Potter. <laughs> all right, no, all jokes aside, my number one is Anthony Perkins. Uh, it's my number three favorite yeah. performance of all time. Um, you guys touched on a lot, and I've touched on a lot throughout the podcast, but one of the, I wanted to touch on like a few little scenes that really stand out to me. Um, we talked about the room. We talked about how he, how um, the final sequence. But there's a sequence where he, where Arborgrass first comes in, mm-hmm. and you see Norman just playing it cool, playing it cool for for yeah. first couple of minutes of that sequence, and then you have him getting caught with Marion's signature or whatever Mary, whatever Marion's Loomis or whatever she named the in the book, and you see the camera shot. He starts eating the the thingies, the the little. The corn, the corn, and then there's a shot of him looking over at the book, and then looking back, and in that moment his demeanor, oh yeah, yeah, so his demeanor immediately changes into stoic. I know what I'm going to do with this guy, and it's the small moments like that that really has elevated that performance for me. Yes, he plays a great. Um, crazy person, if you want to call it that. But I think one of the most important things of his performance is that in 1960, us were trained now to know, to read these things. But in 1960, no one in that theater would have predicted that Norman Bates would be the killer in the end. Just for the fact that he played this um, everyday good guy. And, but he has such levels of psychological ambiguities that when you're done with the movie, you're like, wow, he really is torn there is a mental illness there and yeah i mean i love this performance so much i could talk about it for hours i and it just shows the masterfulness of hitchcock and unfortunately anthony perk has never touched a performance like this again in his career and i've seen a lot of his movies it sucks 
that he was that good. And shout out to these awful Oscar winners from that year. I just wanted to bring that up real quick. <laughs> um, wait, this is yep one more because I'm like Charlton Heston and Ben Hur. I still would have given it to uh, Anthony Perkins. So Burt Lancaster won for Elmer Gantry in 1960. Oh, it's on my watch list. Yeah, that's not going to be. A, um, <laughs> and Shirley Jones, because I would have given um, Jenna Lee supporting there. So J- Shirley Jones for Elmer Gantry won supporting actress there. Oh, my there. God. Elmer, Elmer Gantry. Gantry. Wa- I put on my watch list like maybe a week ago. And that's Elmer Gantry was, nomi- was also nominated for Best Picture. I cannot wait for my me to watch that movie give it four and a half stars and Wonderful. like it more than that's, that's a, i doubt that'll happen um yeah the best pictures that year were the apartment the alamo elmer gantry sons of lovers sounds and lovers and the sun, sundowners we couldn't even get you, psycho there you you put perkins in lead right yes he's in it too much yeah um he's not a lead. Le- Lemon's not there. you don't think he's a lead no no way! Oh, there's no leads in Psycho. He has, the, he has like a, the same amount of screen time as Janet Lee does. I think. No, a little bit more. A little bit more, because I think he, only... he has Sorry, twenty. No, I think he has twenty minutes with Janet, and then Janet goes, and then he's in the rest of the movie. I think he's a central he's focus the of the rest of the, of the movie. movie. Mm. John Gavin and uh, what's her face are in Vera the movie. Miles. Vera Miles. Oh man, that's a good conversation to have for. Yeah, I need to crunch those. Numbers. Yeah, I want to crunch those numbers. I've always, I've always category fraud. Right <laughs> I mean, there's been worse category frauds than this. Sure. But I've, I've, but if he was going against someone, uh, and I have a feeling Helmer wouldn't give it to Perkins after Peter Ustina for Spartacus won support. Oh, act. what a performance! Yeah, I know you would prefer that. Yeah, I, I prefer Anthony Perkins, but that is not a bad second option. It's okay. It's cute. <laughs> Um, all right, so that wraps everything I, uh, up. Actually, I would have given it to Lawrence Olivier and Spartacus. My fault. He wasn't nominated, but that's an amazing. Sure. <laughs> it's it's cool. Um, but the moral of the story of this podcast today is that there's a lot of Alfred Hitchcock out there, and we've just scratched the surface. Uh, any cinephile out there should really do a deep dive research, and not to not just the films we've mentioned, but some of his unknown films, because I think it's an education worth taking because Hitchcock to me is one of the greatest, the greatest director of all time. And if it wasn't for him, movies wouldn't be where they are today. Um, yeah, that wraps everything up. Helmer, as always, thanks for joining us, Jack. Thanks for joining us. Do you want to plug anything before you go, Helmer? Um, no, as always, League of Cinephiles on Instagram and YouTube. So check us out. Dave was actually on a fan cast match that, should be uploaded, I guess, today when recording this. Yeah, we already got some feedback from my wife on the clip. <laughs> She's like, you really Without were... context, it doesn't sound right. But... She's like, you were screaming a lot. I'm like, trust me, I was gangbanged and not trust a fun... Me, you, would, you, would, <laughs> you would understand. Yeah, I pretty much, I was like, I was gangbanged in that entire... <laughs> I literally had to defend myself. It, um, And Jack, what do you got? Yeah, you can also find us at the Critic Circle on Instagram. As well as Chop Talk, the podcast with me, David, and Kurt. Great segue. You can follow me at Real Talk Inc. And Member League of Cinephiles, Critic Circle. You can find my work around Tomatoes, RealTalkInc.com. And, of course, next week we are coming back with Chop Talk at the 35th anniversary of a vampire delight that I adore, The Lost Boys. I cannot wait to touch base on that one. Until next time, see you at the movies, kids. (laughs) 